Hello everyone out there. How are you all doing? I do hope you're doing well and enjoying Christmas. My name is Andy. And I'm Jake. And this is the Film 7 Podcast. Bringing you all the latest film and TV news. But this is a special episode. We will be doing something quite different on this episode, Jake, aren't we? Yeah, we are. That's uh, right, Andy. Because it's the end of the year, we're actually going to be doing our Film 7 Awards. Now, what does that mean, Andy? It is, first of all, it is our anniversary. It is. It's our one-year anniversary. Our one-year anniversary of the podcast. And it means we will be giving our own awards for all the films and TV series that we have watched. This is not the industry no, awards. This no, is not close to that. Exactly. This is not the full electromagnetic spectrum of all films that have been released. This is just of everything we have seen. We've seen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's uh, again, it's not like this is the fact, this is just our own opinions uh, on what we believe are the best pictures of the year. Yeah, and if you've not seen any one of them, we hope you go see them. And um, if you agree with us, that is great. And if you don't agree with us, that's also great. And that's the way it is. So, uh, ND, let's kick off into the show then. And this is the Film 7 Podcast. of the year christmas is fast approaching yep and the new year 2020 is in sight mm -hmm. uh 2019 though you know i remember at the beginning of the year we did our what's coming for 2019 and we listed all these uh, possibly amazing movies and stuff that we were going to see overall how has your 2019 been for film and tv optimistic i'm up it's been good it's been better than i thought it, it's been better than last year seeing improvements seeing new things I came into the year thinking Hollywood had lost it, that we had lost all the great writers, we had lost all the great stories because everything was being rehashed. I thought the directors, the great directors had lost their touch. That's how I came into 2019. But at the end of 2019, I, I, all those my fears were allayed. I am optimistic. I'm, I'm happy with what happened. And I'm so chuffed up. I'm so chuffed about what's coming in, in the future. Yeah, I'm very similar wavelength to you are. I think it's been a really good year for film and TV. Um, I think for me personally, I've had a better year with TV. TV this year has just been amazing. Like anything, you know, being produced on, on Netflix and FX and all these other great channels. Uh, film as well has been an outstanding year. There's been some really, really good films this year. I will agree with you saying it's been a better year than 2018. Yeah. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of changes in the industry for the better, you know, more diversity, uh, uh, you know, people getting opportunities that they may have not got before. And also seeing some new technology in the industry with, you know, we'll get into that a bit and later. And improvements. Improvements on, on stuff we've seen before. Yeah. 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 So I'm really optimistic to see where this industry is going to go. Um, and of course, I think the big thing of this year um, is the start of the streaming wars. Yes, I call it the Force Awakens. The, the Force Awakens, <laughs> yes. Yeah. What type of force that will be, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but it's been a, a strange year for, for the industry in that, in that sense, that yeah. this is truly a new beginning. Uh, and I think 2020, like the, the, sort, the floodgates are sort of open now. Mm -hmm. The battle lines have been drawn. Everybody, we know what everybody has. We know who's, who the players are. So the referee is about to now blow the whistle for mm -hmm. the real thing to start. Yeah. 
It's it's, it's going to be crazy. It'll be interesting as well to see to see how this is all going to play out. Um, but yeah, like we said, some great films, some great TV shows, um, and you know. As we always, we have to address a lot of controversy as well this year on a, a lot yeah. of fronts. Yes, films being cancelled for political for reasons. political reasons and films making things happen in politics as well. Yeah. You know, it's been that kind of year, and um, where some the films have really some films have brought about change, mm -hmm. and some have brought opened up some conversations that we normally some wouldn't doorways, have. Yeah. yeah, that we normally wouldn't have. And if some of the conversations we've had about films and that if you came, if I mean, you, you wouldn't think it would be films that would inspire us to talk about some of these issues, but the films have really opened us up to things that we should be discussing. I don't know if that makes sense. No, no, it, I to it totally makes sense. I mean, we've been saying this throughout the year as well, that if, if people don't know enough about a certain topic is that there's not enough films made about them. Yes. And I, we completely agree with that because in, in, an, in a time we live now, in a society we live now where we're constantly on our phones and you know, in front of screens all the time, we don't have time, you know, which is a shame for a lot of people, they don't have time to read and, you know, and there's also a lot of things, you know, uh, what's happening politically and who can, who can you believe, who can you trust? Even our own leaders were a bit, were doubting our own leaders in society, no matter where sort of political side you stand on. Uh, and then sort of the cinema gives us this sort of release mm. and it gives us a new perspective on, on the way to look at things that you can sort of say, this is coming from one person, it's their sort of take on it, but it's, you know, there's a bit more raw truth to yeah. it than, than, than even though it's make-believe, yeah. there's still an, a, an element of more raw truth than the climate we are in now. Yeah, a lot of films, people saw a lot of parallels in films today. Reflections. Yeah, reflections. People, and um, I, dare I say, it made film filmmakers f feel a bit deeper than they are, you know, because maybe some of the films we thought maybe the director is talking, uh, maybe this, this thing in his film is a metaphor for this thing that is happening in society. So that happened so many times. And in some of the cases, that's not even what the director had in mind. But once people start making those parallels, you see the directors now being like, yeah, we thought about that. So it now made directors look, writers and directors look a bit more deeper than they actually are. But the fact is that there were a lot of films that made us see ourselves, see what society is and what society can become or shouldn't become if we continue in the way that we do. So, um, no, it's it's been great. I've loved 2019. I've, I really have. I, I mean, I, I can't say that about 2018, last year, and, you know, old, you know, but this year it was really yeah. good. Uh, one final note I like to make about 2019 was that it truly was a year of endings, I believe, and new beginnings. Uh, because from, uh, especially from franchise's point of view, we had a lot of finales to stuff. You know, we had the season finale of Game of Thrones. We had Avengers Endgame, you know, the entire MCU in one film. Uh, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. You know, we had a lot of stuff that was sort of like, man, you know, or in a way our childhoods and our, you know, our adulthoods as well. It's mm -hmm. coming to an end. Yeah, there's but a lot. It's o but it's okay because there's a new beginning happening. Yeah, there was a lot of passing the torch. Yeah. There was a lot, it's true, now that you mentioned, there was a lot of, you know, passing the torch and all of that. A lot of that. So, yeah, this was that year of yeah, it. Yeah, literally, and I also think metaphorically as yeah. well. Yeah, there was a lot of, and, um, 
actors and actresses they behaved this year. Very yeah. few controversies. Yeah, very few. Yeah, everybody just kind of behaved. There was the Kevin Hart thing in February. That March. was at the beginning of the year. Yeah, the beginning yeah. of the year. But James Gunn. Yeah, James but Gunn. But James Gunn actually handled himself very well mm -hmm. in that. Yeah. I, I, he wasn't, for me, he wasn't the bad. It, like like we say with Kevin Hart, there was that it was a similar situation, mm -hmm. but they both reacted very differently. Yeah. But it's just um, not, not much of that. And directors, a lot of things could have gone wrong mm. this year like okay so um i was just thinking about some some trailers would be released and people would complain in the past the directors would fire back and be like you don't know what you're talking about we worked hard on this but this year we saw a lot of directors taking feedback from the public yeah like sonic, sonic is a big example sonic yeah. is a big example of that and um a lot of films you hear they they, they went for the first screening they got feedback even one of our most one of the worst films of the year, um, Cats. Yeah. Yeah. That film, I, apparently, um, when the truth, I heard it's different. It looks a bit different from what we saw in the trailer. And that's because when the trailers came out, the director picked up on the feedback and tried to tweak some things. But yeah. it's still... No, I, I think from, from yeah. what everyone's saying, it still didn't it work. It still would make <laughs> you vomit. But yeah. <laughs> but, um, but that was it. Like, people did behave themselves. They were in the community... In the filmmaking community, there was more, there was it was more civilized, and yeah. everybody behaved themselves this yeah. year, which is great. You know, I think on the professional front, it definitely was. Uh, I think another big thing uh, on the professional front was the whole uh, Martin Scorsese Marvel comments. And before that, Spielberg and and streaming. Spielberg was yeah. streaming. So yeah, you have, which you know, when you get to their level, mm. you can sort of say what you want, and at the end of the day, it's just their opinion. Mm -hmm. It's fine, wh whatever. Uh, but I think where the, the bad side of all this mm -hmm. is actually not the professionals and not really the industry, but it's ourselves. And, it, and it's ourselves on social media and the internet and the abuse that we're, we're, we're using it for. Mm. Uh, the amount of toxicity and hatred and, and, and all the sort of stuff that you hear about and see um, is, is bad. Mm. I, think we, I think as in that sense, as a society, we're reaching an all-time low on how bad it is out there on Twitter. Like, you know, I, I deleted Twitter on Monday evening. Oh, wow. Leading, leading up to... I didn't delete it. I just took it off my Signed phone. Out. Yeah, yeah okay. I just took it off my phone. Leading up to The Rise of Skywalker, primarily because I didn't want any spoilers. And I also just didn't want to see anyone's opinion about it. And, and it was the toxicity that's kept me off it. Because, mm. like, seeing the reviews... And, you know, we'll, we'll get into that in another show when we talk about The Rise of Skywalker, but seeing all the reviews, I'm just kind of like, I, I don't want to go on Twitter because I just know what it's going to be like. Yeah. I, 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 you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, the fans were still the fans. The, yeah. It was and very toxic this year as yeah, well. And, um, I, you know, I'm all for, I'm, like, me and ND disagree on a lot of things, especially in Star Wars, but we still debate it in a way that we just look at each other's opinions. But it just doesn't seem that way in, I'm not saying everyone's like that, but there's a, there's a percentage of people on Twitter you know they are the minority mm -hmm. but they are very vocal yeah they are so it's just you know now you have to learn personal psychology to actually be seen on twitter you have to learn things that you know how to deal with hate you know these are things nobody should deal with but now these are things it's now a survival instinct to maintain your sanity you should be able to accept insult you should be able to understand that millions of people can what you can wake up one day 
you can sleep one day nobody and wake up the most hated person on the planet because of the way the internet just one thing yeah yeah. just one comma misplaced and that's it you know so and you see things like pressures that people years ago didn't have to deal with there's so much more pressure now yeah so much do i mean it's a new orientation from like what we were saying from the professional side as well because they everyone's got to be so careful now what they say Mm, now now more than ever yeah which in a way is kind of a bad thing because it's almost you know i mean we're getting really political here but it's almost fringing on the freedom of speech sort of thing i think it will come full circle it will come full circle so there's always a calling this will happen where everybody gets fed, then slowly it will normalize. You know, this is all the, every, this internet thing is just new. Yeah, it's still it's relatively still new. new every, yeah. You know, very soon it will normalize and everybody will know what they can, can say, you know, and everything will be fine for another 50 to 60 years. Then it resets again. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We but, shall see. Uh, so on a sour note, that is. But let ND, let's get on to a much, much brighter note and celebrate all these amazing films and TV uh, stuff that we've been getting this year. So, yes. Andy, I'm going to let you start this one off. What is the first category of our Film 7 Awards? So, before we go into this, um, I want to apologize to our listeners because what I didn't do was I didn't name the individuals. What I named was the, the, projects. the, budget, the, the projects that they worked on. So, I do apologize to everybody who, is, who, I, who I didn't name personally. You know, I do apologize, but I'll try to give yeah, honor I, I'm, to I'm, I've got some names. Mm. Uh, I don't have all the names for everyone, so I apologize on that front. For some of them, there's so many people that worked on them, you can't just quite put it in one name. But yeah. yeah. So we do apologize for that. It's not, it's not in any way diminishing the appreciation we have for what you have done. So to our awards, the first um, category we have is for the best costume design. Best costume best design. Best costume design. And I gave my... Uh, there were a couple I had in mind, but I have given it to Vikings. 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 Well, what a show, man. What a show. And From, it's only just started as well. Yeah. The so fi- for you to give it the award is like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's been on every year... You, and it's been like that from season one. It when they're what seventh season now or sixth or something. Six, yeah. Four, yeah, it's yeah. been like that every season. It's just the battles get better. You think they can't top it up, and they top it, and they just top it up, and it's just the way everyone sees Norse culture is just just changed, and people are. It's just amazing. That show in itself is amazing. There's so much good about it. But uh, I've just given them best costume because yeah. it's just... Yeah, the costumes are absolutely fabulous. They really look authentic. Yes. And the sense of like, this is like, it, it almost feels like this was taken, like they dug yes. it up. Yeah, in and an it's archaeolo- historically accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm, I'm a huge Norse guy. And, I, you know, when I, when I started watching this show, I started looking up how much of this was true and how much of this was dramatized. Mm-hmm. There's a fair amount dramatized, but in sense of the weaponry the ships and you know the production design but the costumes they, they nailed it it's they nailed amazing it. it's yeah. amazing so, so yeah well fa- deserved yeah well deserved fair enough did you give anyone an award for yes uh, my for best costume design is Game of Thrones season 8 yes say what you want about no, that no we're not talking about the plots or the characters anything like that we're talking about costume design here and you can't deny how astonishing again i don't have the name of the lead costume designer uh, but the whole team there they worked so hard throughout the you know night eight seasons mm. 
uh, and they top it off every year. Like just the intri- the detail on the costumes from you know the cloaks and the tunics and the armor, you know everything is just done with extreme care. Yes, and it's made and it's believable. You believe that that it, that this this is almost like a piece of history rather mm-hmm. than a piece of fiction. Yeah, that's you can't fault that part. You can't fault the production of game of Game of Thrones. You can everybody has problems with you know how it ended and the story and all of that but besides that i agree with you it's um every one of they could have been nominated for every single one of our um award categories there they did they they did they worked hard those guys on in game of thrones um um set and crew they really worked hard to give us the pleasure that we saw on sets uh, it, it was amazing yeah I, it's, I agree. it's beautiful yeah. to look at so uh, top marks to those people there and the team there. All right, so, Andy, we're going to go into the next award now. Yeah. Uh, and this is a big one, actually, because in, you know, the, the era we live in now, and that is Best Visual Effects. Mm. Okay. Like I said, it's in it's, modern yeah, time. Yeah, exactly, yeah. There's hardly, there's nothing they can't do. Yeah. So to be the best, you got to really... Yeah, and your... there's also the element of, like, pushing the... The technology forward exactly so again this was a hard one because I, I thought there was a lot of great contenders for this one this year a couple of honorable mentions is alita battered angel yes stunning film to look at i have my issues with with the story and the plot and stuff like that but visually james cameron doing what he does best he's pushing the envelope forward mm-hmm. uh, and avengers endgame i mean come on that, that, that was it, great some well. of the best visual effects i've seen but i actually have to give the award to and this is not really a surprise and that is Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. Nice. Yeah, we, 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 I agree. I think yeah. I, I, so no spoilers. Yes. No spoilers whatsoever, because I this is you know the film's only just come out. I understand there's people who haven't seen it yet. Um, but visually, this is one of the in visual effects form. This is one of the best, if not the best, Star Wars movie they, they've done to date. And from a visual effects standpoint, it was just gorgeous. The way it looked believable. Mm. That's what, I, and, I, and I, you'll hear that a lot in throughout these awards. It, it's got to look believable. It's got to make me feel like I'm there. And it, they did it at a, at a standing job, ILM, you know, at Lucasfilm. Well done to you guys. You, you guys, they always kick it out. The yeah, I agree. It was amazing. I think, in my opinion, I think this is the best. The Rise of Skywalker is the best visual effects on any Star Wars. Period. That's it. From the TV series, the films, the cartoons, everything. I think it was amazing what they did there. I have gone for my um, best visual effects. I've gone for the the aging used in The Irishman. Not the entire film, but the the aging that was applied in The Irishman. That has been the best application of visual effects for me. Because, yes, when when you first watch it, for the first couple of seconds, your brain will know this is, will know something is off. But immediately after that initial shock, the entire film. You know, you do not notice you. At, you will not know watching that film where the the agent stopped and where you're actually watching De Niro and where did the agent started again because the film started from when he was in his early thirties or twenties till when he almost died of old age. So they literally took you through an entire person's life, and the only time you notice the technology is in the first few seconds. I just think that was outstanding. So. The, the aging technology used in Irishman has won my award for the best visual effects. 
fair enough. I would. I haven't seen it yet, so I can't quite comment on on how I feel about it. But from what I gathered from the trailers, it did look really, really good. Mm. So, Andy, what's the next award? So our next category is the best film editing. Wow. Okay. Best film editing. Um, it's funny with film editing because if you notice the edit, it means it's bad. Ed, it, 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 you shouldn't notice it. Mm-hmm. It should just flow. It should just flow. But the, still, the way some people edit, they tell the the edit itself tells a story. story yeah. So I've gone for the Irishman again wow, because okay. this, I can I can see why. Yeah. yeah, this is a three hour film. You know, it's three and a half. Three and a half hour film. It's a mental investment. If you want to watch this, that's why I said don't even bother going in the cinema. It wasn't made for the cinema. The only reason it's there is because they wanted to apply for awards. But it's really made for you to be in your sofa on your be comfortable physically and watch because it has a lot to do. But the editing, the way the story was told, because the Irishman, you haven't seen it, so I'm trying not to spoil it. But the Irishman is actually a story within a story within a story. There are about three layers of storytelling in the Irishman, and it just makes sense. The way the the edit was done, it's just perfect. I, 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 I'm sorry again, I didn't get the person's name, but the editing in The Irishman wins my award for the year. Yeah, I can see why with a three and a half hour film that's basically documenting a person's life. I can imagine the editing, the job alone would have been a tough one to edit that for it to make sense and flow. But if you're saying that it just flows naturally for three and a half hours. Yeah, and I'm telling three different stories. stories within a story that, yeah. within a story within a story. It was just amazing. You'll see it when you watch it. Nice one. Uh, so similar to that story within a story, I have to give uh, my best film editing to Fred Raskin. So I got the name of this guy. He did an amazing job on Tarantino's latest film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. So, you know, we were just saying that editing needs to just flow and it also needs to tell the story you can obviously this is fred raskin but it's a tarantino film Mm. and tarantino has a certain way of narrative that he you know uses the editing for that you know the sort of non-linear type of storytelling and Mm -hmm. then obviously all climaxes at the end Mm -hmm. Uh, but the way this story was told was absolutely fantastic you know you know you're getting different shots of these multiple different storylines mm. that eventually all lead up to the end. Classic Tarantino. Classic Tarantino. And you're just not bored. It's another It's another long film. I believe it's two hours, 45 minutes or something like that. So it's a, you know, it's a Tarantino film. It's going to be quite long. But you just don't feel that. For me, it felt less than two hours. It just flew by. Wow. So yeah, I've got to give it to Fred Raskin on the editing on this one. It was amazing. Yeah, Tarantino is one of those directors who I think he was one of in my opinion, the f- one of the first directors to actually use the edit to tell the story. Because up until t- Pulp Fiction, mm. all films had been mostly linear. Mm. Begin, beginning, middle, end. But Pulp Fiction just flipped it off. And I remember as a kid, I was telling my friend, like, have you seen Pulp Fiction? It starts at the end. And my friend was like, what? And he's like, yeah, the film starts at the end. So I think Tarantino and his editors were the first people to introduce that, and it's just great. I, so I can totally see why you mm. picked that. You in. haven't seen this movie. I haven't yet, seen haven't. it. No, I haven't seen it. So strange for you, man. I, I thought you would have just like, banged yeah, on. Yeah, it. it's strange. Even me, I'm like, how have I not seen a Tarantino? How it's it's like you telling me you've not seen Star Wars. It's it's I'm surprised myself. So 
Cool, yeah. Uh, so we'll get into the next award, and that is Best Makeup and Hairstyling. So this one was a bit of a struggle as well, very similar to costume design, mm -hmm. where I was debating, you know, Game of Thrones had that sort of element. Uh, I also had to really consider um, uh, Star Wars, because again, you know, the makeup and hairstyling that is always top notch. But I'm actually going to give it to uh, a series that you pointed out earlier, and that is Vikings. Mm. And that is uh, similar to the aspects of the costume design, uh, the hair and makeup. Like, I just, all these guys' hair, like, all, all like, like yeah. um, Bjorn's, um, what's all the, what's, give me all the. Oleg, Bjorn, Oleg, uh, Uber. 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 Oh, he made his yeah, kids. Yeah, Uber. no, yeah. so no, yeah, Uber's hairstyle. I love, I love, like, these sort of long Mohicans and all this. It's just outstanding work, and it's believable, and it feels so Norse. It feels so Viking. Historically accurate. And historically accurate. And uh, then we go to the makeup as well, where they've got all the battle armor and the tattoos. You know, and it's not just a tattoo. Every tattoo in their sort of culture means something, and it tells a story. And they also, and you can see when they've got new tattoos because they've accomplished something, yeah. or a new battle has been won, they get a new tattoo to sort of symbolize that. Mm. And it's just done so well. So I, I don't have the names, I'm sorry, but the whole team behind the makeup and hair starting on Vikings is just stellar work. I mean, I just have to agree with you. It was tough for me as well. I had um, the Irishman as well because they really did great. They, you know, because the entire film, you really feel like you're in the 60s when you, or the 70s or the 80s when you're watching it. It was really done well. Everybody was made to look very 80s. Everybody. And so it was really tough, but I agree with you. The Viking has to, Vikings have to take it for me as well. So for both of us, Viking wins for best makeup and hairstyle. Yes. Uh, so Andy, what's the next one? Now, this is a big award. This is the best cinematography. Yo, this is one of the biggest ones. Yeah. So you remember last year they decided not to televise this one? Yeah, Roger Dick. Yeah, they, yeah. This and yeah, that, that was a big. It was a big deal yeah. because. How can you not televise the director of photography? So these are the people, right? So when you come on set, everything you see was the director's idea. But it was the cinematography that executed, that executed it. it. Yes, exactly. So the director says, I want it to look like this. It's the cinematographer that makes it look it's like this. It's their job to it's make it look, job. to, to yeah. bring the director's vision to life. Yes. So anything you see, it was that cinematographer. So it's a big deal. It can make or break a film. And the cinematography as well, like the film editing, tells a story in yeah. itself. Yeah. You use one wrong light or you color the lights differently or you just move the camera in the wrong way. You can send the wrong message, you know. So all these, the camera pushed in or the camera pushed out or they slid. You know, all those little, little nudges that we you probably wouldn't notice, but it tells a story. You know, whenever... You know, you know all these things. So that's um, what the cinematographer does. So it's a big responsibility. And as we've already said, there were a lot of great films this year. Yeah, so they were. I stayed visually stunning. Yeah, I stayed and you know, a it's lot. actually kind of a shame because you know the film that we, Roger Deakins' next film, 1917. Yeah. Everyone is saying that's a shoe in for best cinematography. The only problem is that it doesn't come out in the UK until next month. Oh. So well. I can't class it as for us. The UK viewers is in because I re I think if I had seen that in this year that probably would have won. Yeah, because it's ro first of all because it's Roger Deakins. Simple. That's all I need to hear. And second of all, have you seen those trailers and those behind the scenes stuff? What they did. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, what if Roger Deakins releases 
a film in a year he wins for best cinematography you know it's it's the rest of us it's any every the rest of us just scrap when he's not working yeah, when he's not, working, when he's not yeah. working so big big decision and i thought about it for a long time but i have gone with the cinematographer for the joker snap i've got the same and i've actually got the name of the guy uh, it is lawrence Scher. Hmm. so lawrence Scher is the cinematographer for joker so andy yeah go, go ahead what do you have to say about this I mean, this the, 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 oh. I mean, first of all that to me that's it's it's a it's like the joker isn't a good film it's a great film this is what people a lot of people that go into filmmaking this is what they want to do with their careers they want to make a film that will not only make money it will affect society it will be fun it will be everything that film had it all and you couldn't have gotten it without the the, the every the cinematography just the i don't know how to give a non-technical description of how cinematography played a part in the film but the visual aesthetics the colors that were used at the right time to evoke the right emotion when he was angry and when he was depressed how everything went blue and dull and he was green lights and when he was killing everything was red and dark you know all those little choices i mean he did he he nailed it he nailed this he, film yeah i agree with you on all those fronts I also liked when, like we said, like it's telling a story. And because this is an uncomfortable film, there were certain moments where the cinematography made you feel... The cinematography itself was the one that was making you feel uncomfortable. Um, I will say that, slight spoiler here, but um, you, know, you should have seen the movie by now. It's made over a billion dollars. Um, the scene where he murders his mother in the, in the hospital bed, yeah, yeah. where he's suffocating with a pillow, they held on to that scene longer than any sort of average cinematographer would have held on for and they made you feel that more uncomfortable what was happening in that moment and that's all down to the cinematography obviously Joaquin Phoenix's performance as well but them capturing that moment is just outstanding and I also go down to the the amount of symmetry yeah. used in this film yeah. uh, especially on his the, I mean the most famous aspect I would say about the film is the staircase, staircase yeah so when he's descending down all in the dumps, the way the cinematography is down is very low. Mm -hmm. But then when he's sort of like, so he's climbing up, and it, but it's filmed from a low angle. It's making him look more powerful. And, uh, yeah. No, I mean when he's depressed, when he's walking up, yeah. And he's, it's showing how small he is in a sense. Mm -hmm. But then when he's descending down, dancing into chaos, the camera's right on him. And it, it's showing you that he has sort of truly embraced who he is. Larger. Larger, no, than, larger life. than life. Larger than life now. So do you see yeah. what I mean? And that's Yo, all, yeah, yeah. Uh, all artistic choices done. F yeah. It's, it, it's, it's really good, man. So he, he, so he takes it. Yeah, without a doubt. Lawrence Scher on The Joker. For you as well. For, yeah, for me as well. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, so the next award, ND, is Best Production Design. So a little brief synopsis about for people who maybe not know what this is. Production design is basically the set mm. itself. So it's all the sets, the locations. It's another big part of the movie making because the director says, I want this. And then the cinematography says, right, we need to do this. And it works with the production designer to build that world, mm -hmm. essentially. And I have to give my award to The Mandalorian. Mm. Star Wars, now, 
I'm slightly cheating because it hasn't come out in the UK. <laughs> but Where's um, the popo? Come take this but, down. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? That where there's a will, there's a way. So I'm just going to be honest. It felt that what this show has done, and we'll we'll talk about the Mandarin at some point when it comes out in the UK. Maybe yeah. we'll talk about it a bit more. Um, but what this show has done is that it's really made you feel like you're in Star Wars. Mm. The set design and, and you know just like it felt like. Um, Rogue One, in a sense, like I, I bet you, the same people worked on this as well. Yeah, um, probably. Yeah, uh, so it just felt this gritty, Star Warsy bounty hunter, Wild West samurai, and you just got all of that in the production design and production value in itself. Very less is more. Less is more type of thing. A lot of open landscapes. Yeah, and I also have to get this sort of ties in with visual effects. But what John Favreau is doing in um, this new the volume it's called because mm-hmm. they shot this entire movie in LA, which is insane. This uh, sorry series uh, with this new VAR technology that the so instead of green screen, it's actual the set design on these huge screens. Oh, so it really helps the performance. It helps the performance to make them feel they're actually there. Wow. Which, which is something else as well. So I've got to give it to the Mandalorian. They're pushing, so they're using production design and visual effects to push the, the envelope forward. I mean, I, I agree. That's the Mandalorian is really good. It's, they didn't um, shove it with all sorts of things because you, people do that with space because it's futuristic. They feel that you can put in, yeah, you can put in anything and nobody will complain because it's in the future. But Mandalorian just stripped everything down and everything you see has, you know, everything you see, you, you can imagine, yeah, that's what you'd find there. A box, you see, yeah, this room would be empty. A war just ended. Of course, it will be like this. It would be chaos. It's really, I like the Mandalorian a lot. But for my award, I've gone for um, this film, this um, TV series again, The Vikings. Vikings, yeah. Yeah, the production design, like you were saying earlier, the houses, the huts, you know, the the boats, the because production design is just makeup and costume for non-humans. Yeah, it's so, everything else. Yeah, everything else, just apart from the humans. So everything else on on set, from the huts they live in to the different castles and the palaces. And how historically, I keep saying that, but how historically accurate those things are. Like the castles would have looked like this at this time. It, it's, it's really good. And those guys have um, they've just, and it's the consistency right from season one. They've just been very, very good at it. And they keep getting better. You think they're not going to do a better, do better next year. They bring it on. And this year, this season, They've done better. It's better than last season. And this is not the last. It's now on Netflix. Going on Netflix, isn't it? Uh, no, this is the last. So so this is they're doing this is part one of the last season. And then do, then part two comes out. And then they're doing a it's a new show, but in the same world. But it's different actors? Different actors. So okay. so it's like, yeah, I think they're doing a new a news type of show, uh, but in the same sort of world. Yeah. They take my award for the best production design. Yeah, I can see why again. So it's again, it ties into what you said with ha- uh, makeup and hairstyling and wardrobe, uh, but for everything else, and it sort of ties in on how they make it look so realistic. So, yeah, I can see why you picked that one. Uh, so, what's the next award, Andy? So, is is um, the next one is the best sound mix or the best sound editing? Sound editing, wow. my thing. Yeah, that's your thing, you know? And this is why I don't even have a nomination for this. I, because I, I don't know how to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I just go and 
listen. You just you know? experience. I just experience. But so I'll just pass the ball to you. Who do you reckon did the best in that area? I mean, for me, it's 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 always going to be an obvious choice for me when it comes to sound, and that is Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. Mm. Um, if it wasn't for Star Wars in the first place, we wouldn't have sound design as we know it today. You know, George, didn't even exist. it didn't really exist, mm. you know, and it was sort of like, yeah, we'll do that at the very end. And it was very poorly handled. But what, but George, he thought sound is 50% of the experience, mm. you know, of going mm. to a cinema. Mm. And what he did with Ben Burtz, who was the official first titled sound designer, was just revolutionized the industry and especially this aspect of the industry. It's just incredible what they did. And uh, Skywalker Sound continues to improve on that legacy mm. and just every project they release is just phenomenal obviously you've got the iconic sounds but you can they make them better with the modern technology and introduce so many new sounds that you think man how did they make that like it's just insane the sounds that these that you know matthew wood and that team over there i've got it's in, absolutely incredible it's funny because oh for me a normal person I just hear these sounds. I I, I I forget that they actually generate these sounds. They've like, got to make them. Those yeah. sounds do not exist. Yeah, those, you know, like when a spacecraft is passing, that they have to actually make those sounds because, like I said, yeah. they don't exist. So you're like, what does a TIE fighter sound like? Well, I don't know. They don't exist. So you've <laughs> got to make a TIE fighter sound. Mm, and they've made it so believable. You believe this is how... It would sound like. It would sound like, you know. And you, as a normal viewer, I don't even think about it. That's the thing. Most people uh, don't think about that. And that's the thing. That is the big thing with sound, though, is that you're not meant... People are not supposed to notice. Mm. It's meant to be organic. It's meant to be believable. The issue, if you, people notice the sound design, you've got a problem. Yeah, same as most things in, in yeah. cinema. In it's, got, cinema. it's just got to be organic. Yeah, you, you should notice it. If you notice it, somebody has done a pro done yeah. something wrong and you know what again so the rise of skywalker they've just done a, another great job of making you believe that this galaxy far far away exists yeah so oh man it's a really good film though. it is it yeah. i mean like we'll talk about we'll that talk in, about in another <laughs> show no spoilers on this one uh so nd the next award is ties into best sound editing, but on a different form, and that is best original music score. Mm. So mine, yeah, um, you're gonna see, you're gonna see uh, quite a bit of a common theme in my awards this year. Uh, I do apologize for butchering the name because I really can't pronounce this, but it is Hilda Guanadotia. You shouldn't have even tried. No, <laughs> but but she did an absolute fantastic job on the soundtrack to The Joker. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It, it is haunting. Yeah. Mm. It is beautiful. Yes. It is depressing at times. And it just makes you feel uneasy as well. Um, when you listen to the soundtrack on its own, you're just picturing the scenes and you're like, oh, this is just nasty. So you just get that chilling feeling that something's about to go wrong. Uh, but there's an there's an element of grace in it as well that you're just so captivated by what she's done and she's primarily she's a celloist okay and, and what uh. a, a lot of the music in this is a lot of just straight up just cellos you know with these droney sort of sounds uh, my best sort of music sequence and arguably my best sequence in the film is the bathroom scene mm. where he sort when after killing the bankers. after killing the people in the the train yeah um where he sort of fully becomes 
the Joker, and that whole music there when he's dancing is just perfect. Very airy, very very creepy. airy, and it's just it just perfect yeah. for that scene. Uh, so I have to give it to her. She's done an amazing, amazing job, and I want to see like her. I want to see more female composers come into this industry and compete for these. Yeah, things. not enough of them. Yeah, because yeah, really not. I've gone for. Um, you know, I'm surprised you didn't go for this one I'm going for, <laughs> but it is it's okay. Um I've gone for the end game. End game. So uh Alan Silvestri. Yes. You know, I don't know the names, but yeah, he's the, like when I just think of literally anytime you say Avengers end game, all I think of is when that da, 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 when the A appears and the thing right. That's the first picture. Just gets you pumped. Yeah, right? it's just that's the first thing that comes to my brain before I then start searching for where I want to go in the film. But I loved it. He did it. I like that that soundtrack was to me that was Avengers. That soundtrack was Avengers. It's sort of like it's yeah I will say it's it's gonna go up there in one of the most memorable themes in Hollywood. Yeah. 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 It's just that final I don't know what you guys call it in music when it goes da, 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 da. just the crescendo. The yeah. crescendo, the high point, yeah. That crescendo is just so, it's so rallying. Yeah. And that moment when, you know, all the heroes come out, yeah. and that theme's ah, playing. Yeah. yeah, it's so rallying. You just want to, yeah, you feel so, yeah, you, you can see yourself standing on Listen top of to the Listen to that while you're working out and you'll be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's very like that, you know? So, I, you know, good job fair, there. Fair choice. Yeah, mm. Alan Silvestre, he's another one of the great composers. So he's always going to do a great job. Yes. So our next, we will move on to the best TV series. Wow, this is so... Well, it's not hard because of a certain show that we'll get into in a minute, but it was hard in the sense of like, man, have we had an amazing year for TV. For yes. me for me anyway. Yes. Um, I'd, I'd like to just talk about a couple of honorable mentions. Um, you know, I've got a whole list here. Allegiant Season 3, Dark... The Mandalorian, Doom Patrol, Mindhunter, What We Do in the Shadows, uh, The Boys, oh. The Umbrella Academy, oh, yes. Love, Death and Robots. Oh, yes. We've had an amazing year for TV of just captivating stuff. And I'm so happy. We're in such the golden age of TV. And I, so it was hard in that sense because we've had so many amazing shows. Wow. But I think we can all agree on what was the best show. Yeah. Here. Yeah, but, but before we even mention it, but come when now that you was now meant saying all the titles, we've had a great year for TV. Stranger Things, Stranger Things, yeah, like some really good stuff we've seen this year. This is you know it's part of what I was saying earlier that this year has been way better than last, way way better, and it just makes you look forward to that's how you should feel going into the new year. So so many mentions, but you're right, there had to be only one winner in this category, and we've both gone for the same. And it's Watchmen. Watchmen. Watchmen is just... It's is, another level. Is, I mean, we can talk about the show. It just ended last week. And it it deserves its own episode. It, it does. It, it does. does. So it does. we won't go into it deeply. But man, that show is good. It's arguably... it. Well, like I said, it's the best show of this year. And it's arguably... I, mean, I need to really think about this. But it's arguably one of the best shows I've seen in the last 10 this decade. Yeah. It's it's so thought provoking, it's so challenging, um, relevant. Relevant, you know. It, it's another reflection, in a sense, of, of of society and how it is now. 
The writing on it is some of the best I've seen in years. Like, we have to give it credit to Damon Lindelof and his whole team because they have done a stellar job. A job I didn't think was possible. Yeah. Nobody thought it was possible. Nobody. Wait, wait, wait. Like, like I've said, when they announced we're going to do a Watchmen TV show, why are you doing this? Like, it should be le- Watchmen should be the 12 issues and that's it. Mm-hmm. The thing is, as good as and as creative as Zack Schneider was, he couldn't pull he it couldn't off. He couldn't do it off. He can't do it. You can't. You can't. Well, now you can't. Well, but this is the thing. So, Damon Lindelof and his team realized, well, we're not going to do Watchmen. Mm-hmm. We're going to do our own Watchmen. Yeah. Which I thought, okay, let's see what you can do then. I'm still very, very skeptical about the whole thing. And they did something that I didn't think was possible, and that is create a new story within the world of Watchmen that has earned the title Watchmen. Mm-hmm. That it feels so Watchmen, but it's so original and new at the same time. Yeah. Literally, this could be... Alan Moore could come and say, this is the sequel to my He book. won't. <laughs> he won't, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> He's hiding somewhere in the, in the, in the woods. Like. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I mean... Of course, definitely that's never going to happen. But if Alan Moore came and said, yeah, this is the sequel I wrote, everybody would believe him. Yeah. Because it's so but you connected. Can't take, but you, like, at the same time, we can't take that away from Damon Lindelof and his team. No, what I mean is, what I'm trying to say is that it's so connected to the source material in, because it, this Watchmen, Watchmen was never meant on screen. No, it wasn't, it's not designed to be that way. Yeah, it was made for comics. You know, the, the writer said he purposely made it so that it would not be translated to screen. Yet this guy has taken that on and not just made a film, made an entire season of it. And it feels so connected. He, he just literally listened to the advice of the creator and said, no, nah, you're wrong. This can't be done. And he did it. Yeah. Like, And he, he did things that were almost a big... F you to yep. Alan Moore mm-hmm. uh, with, what, with what he did with certain characters yep. uh, from like old like legacy characters. <laughs> yes, actually. But at this, but but Watchmen is a big F you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Watch Watchmen was a big F you to superheroes and comics at the yep. time. Mm-hmm. So it fits. It's perfect. It's Watchmen. Mm-hmm. It's what <laughs> like, I never thought about it that way, but now that you said it, I saw certain characters, and yeah, that's actually a big finger to Alan Moore for yeah. Do you see what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But yeah, I, there's so much to talk about this this movie. And you know, all the everything, everything about it, the performances, the dialogue, the script, the production design, the costumes, everything. That just the care and attention to this show, uh, which I don't think can be quite replicated again. I, I think this is almost like like Joker. I think this is magic in a bottle that you've just caught. If you had told me before Watchmen that a Watchmen series was possible, I would have said it's impossible. So I've these guys have just made us... Nothing is impossible, honestly. No, nothing ever ends. Yeah, somebody can make this Joker that we say cannot be replicated. Someone can come along and make it three times better than that, you know? so Different take. Yeah, yeah different take. They've just proved to us that all these things are possible mm-hmm. if it falls in the hands of the right people. Is it and the right time? At the right time, yes, exactly. Which is what Damon Lindelof is saying now, that he has no plans for a season two because he hasn't got a story 
And I, I really respect that because it's the only reason he did, because he had a story for this one. Mm-hmm. And he felt like it was the right time to tell the story. I think it was very right time yep. to tell this story. Yep. Uh, from all the, again, we won't go into spoilers, but you know, all the political themes and everything in this. Uh, but don't force that to make another one. It, he, he felt like it, this was natural. And he even said, you know, HBO, they may well continue this show, but they could do it without me because I don't have anything. But that's the genius, two things, but that's the genius of David. Because the way he ended it, he ended it in such a way, if HBO hired somebody to continue this particular story, they could just continue. But a Watchmen story doesn't have to be this story. Because the original was New York and this one was in what? Oklahoma. You know, so they can do a Watchmen story in Paris, you know, and it'll still connect. But it has to, like I said, it's got to fall into the right people. Exactly. Because I remember seeing an interview with uh, Damon Lindelof and he says when when um, when Warner Brothers approached him to do it, he wasn't sure. They asked him three times before he finally said yes. Um, and like he said, somebody told him, like they said, well, if you're not, he says, somebody's going to do it. Mm-hmm. So at least you know all the landmines and where not to go and, w- you know, how to fall, because he knows Watchmen. Mm-hmm. At least he knows what places not to touch, in a sense. So he was the right person for the job. And, you know, this is the thing. It's got to be in the right person's hands. Yeah, and at the right time. It's just people, I mean, if you've watched it, so if you've, if you've seen Watchmen and you've not read the comics, just realize you've, and you liked it, just realize you've only received about 30% of the story. The 70% is to really get... Enriches. And, yeah, to really get the story and to understand why we're so happy about this series. You kind of need to read the books and the comics to really get it. Then it will make sense why we're still happy about it. But no, I agree with you. Watchmen, yeah, best and, TV and, series. And the final note on Watchmen... It did something I wouldn't thought I didn't think was ever ever possible, and that is it made me look at the original source material in a completely different way. The Alan Moore and yeah. Dave Gibbons, yeah. you know, the original twelve issues. Yeah. Certain aspects and characters you look at them so differently now because of after this show. Yeah, I was about to spoil it. So, but, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, so, Andy, we'll get into the next shirt award, and that is best animated feature. Mm-hmm. So. Again, we're in a, in a world where there's animation and CGI everywhere. We've got a lot of great offerings, but we've also got a lot of poo ones out there. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's quite can be quite uh, re- generic. Uh, but for me, you know, whenever Pixar release a movie, you kind of know it's got to be them. Yeah. And for me, it's Toy Story 4. Mm. Because Pixar, they have this way, and we, you know, we've spoken about this on the show before, but they have this way of making... Uh, a, a film that obviously is targeted towards the younger audience, but the themes and and the emotions behind these films and and you know and the, and the character development can is also so relatable to adults yeah. from any age, absolutely any age, from teenagers, twenties, thirty, whatever, to to if your grandparents, you can relate to these films in in so many ways. And Toy Story did that, and Toy Story for me is very special because. I've sort of grown up with Toy Story mm. and in the sense of like when 
uh, I was sort of the similar age as to Andy is mm -hmm. in the in the sort in in uh, the movies. Right. So when in 1995, I'm a similar age to Andy, and then it moves in real time these movies. Mm. So I'm at the so when he's going to university in oh. Toy Story three, I'm going to university. Mm. So it is it's it's kind of I sort of grown up with this and these characters these toys, it's like almost they were like my toys growing up. So it was a a perfect send off. Uh, I was I was surprised when they said we're going to do Toy Story four because I thought the third one ended sort of perfectly, but this one they just did something is that yeah they brought the story back and they really capped it off and I'm just like yeah yeah no. man. They got me. I mean, you're absolutely correct. Nobody does it like Pixar. The, the, those, the, their, their, their stories are just the way they can they can write a story that it will apply to kids. Kids will watch it and get what kids get out of movies: fun, entertainment, laughs, and all of that. But an adult watches it and just sees something else. He, I mean, they are so clever how they write their stories. I mean, we've spoken about um, one of our best Pixar films here on this show, Inside Out, oh, yeah. and the psychology behind it. It's just, it, I, you know, it's, um, so now that you say you're picking Toy Story 4, I can totally get it. It deserves that kind of mention. But I've gone with, um, this is a film on Netflix, actually. It's a bit art housey. So it's the, you you have to be a certain type of person to watch this cartoon. It's very art housey. It's um, called Ruben Brandt Collector. You know, it's it's about um, I say it's about, but it's not really about it because the, the way they did the animation is every frame is actually a masterpiece. I, I don't know how to describe it, and I'm sure those who are really into art will have a better way to describe this film. But it's it's very it's a very artistic film the underlining story is just about a psychologist who is being haunted by um paintings the paintings he see, um, he sees in the day the, he's been haunted by classic paintings say for like mona lisa and all of that he's been ha haunted by those paintings and the reason for that is because his dad played some mind control tricks with him when he was young so that's haunting him and there's a group of thieves that were trying to help him to overcome his demons. Very simple story, but it's not about the story. It's just the 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 the, the, the animation itself. Every frame, the way they made it, every frame was a, a masterpiece. So very art housey, and it really caught my attention. So I've given it for the best feature for um, animation. Nice. I haven't seen that one, so I'll check it out on your recommendation. But just on that best animation, I know we've only award we're only awarding for film, but an honorable mention is on on TV is Love, Death, and Robots. Oh yes, yes. It, that was that show was great. We talked about it during the year. We anticipated it when we heard who was making it. We we're excited, and when it came out, we binged it like over and over again and it I watched didn't it about three or four times yeah. yeah and it didn't disappoint the way they used different types of animations they mashed it all up together was just amazing it was something I've never seen before I hope there'll be another season I think there is I think that it, it is confirmed that they're doing another one yeah great honorable mention for that so yeah Andy what's the next award let's give one for the best adapted screenplay whoa this is another big one. Yes. In, in a world full of adaptations. <laughs> <laughs> you know. When all they do is adaptations. Yeah. yeah. 
So I've gone, I mean, it's not very hard based on what we were talking about a few minutes ago. It's not very hard to see that I've gone with Watchmen. It's just the best. It's. The, I mean, I can't say more than what we've already said. It's yeah, Watchmen for me. It's Watchmen, Damon. Now, I, I would, I think is I would probably agree with you that that's probably my in best adapted sort of material. But just to be slightly different, I have to give it to Todd Phillips and Scott Silver on their screenplay of Joker. Yeah, 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 yeah. One or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. again, we we're gonna keep we're gonna talk about this film a bit later as well. But what they've done, they've taken, they decided to take this character and who is already a, a quite serious character, but kind of goofy in some sense, but they made him so real world and so relatable. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I think this film, it points out that this is a bad character and it's not someone to root for. Mm -hmm. And I think it was the, the writing of the film was executed done to, for me, it, the point was made by the end of the film. Mm. And that's all down to the writing uh, and obviously Joaquin's performance. You know, well. I agree. I agree with you. It could have been one or the other. Yeah. It could have been Watchmen or Joker. It was excellently done. Excellently done. That film, Joker. Excellently done. And like we said, in a world now where it's pretty much a lot of everything we're watching is adaptations, whether it be from comic books, books, or previous films or whatever, it's kind of hard to stand out. Uh, and what Watchmen and Joker have done is do that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. They've taken it to another level. So uh, we'll stick on to screenplays, and we're now going to go into best original screenplay. So, Andy, this one was a tough one for me, because like I was just saying, there's been so many adaptations. I'm trying to think what's like an original uh, story. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go with uh, Emily Halpern and Sarah Haskins on Booksmart. I haven't seen it. It is an amazing film, and it is down to the writing of this film. It is wonderfully written. You know, I, there's a certain element of it that I can't connect with because I'm not a female, but it really paints a picture um, on what's, like we've been saying, if we don't know about a certain type of thing, it's because there's not, not enough, enough movies. Yeah. Uh, and Olivia Wilde, the director, delivered an amazing oh, film. Oh, she, she directed uh, it. Olivia Wilde, it's her first uh, directorial debut. Hmm. Uh, but obviously, I've got to give credit to the writers as well because it's emotional film and really, really satisfying. Oh, to I watch. And it's hilarious. Well, I haven't it's, seen it's, it. It's hilarious as well. Wow. Okay. I will add this to my watch list. Where is it? Where is the film? Cinemas or? Uh, you, well, you you can. It's it came out earlier in the year, so you you can get it on Blu-ray now. So. All right. Perfect. I've gone for my original best. It's a film. To, this we don't have this category of award, but I feel this is the most underrated film of 2019. No, nobody literally talks about it. I'm not even sure it made enough money, but to me, this is the best screenplay. And it's a film, we talked about it on the show before it came out. It's a film called Brightburn. That's just the most underrated film of the year. It should have made a lot more money. I don't know what it made, but it should have made a hell heck of a lot more than it did. This is a story of if Superman came to planet Earth and he wasn't a good guy, what would have happened? How would he have turned out? That's basically what the premise of the story is. And now it's not a DC film. No. So it's not, you're not going to hear Krypton or Superman. It's not a DC film, but it's based. The same idea. The same idea. And the way they make the film look, the look they gave the film, they gave it the same Man of Steel look. So you could see they were trying to draw a yeah, visual especially parallel. Especially those trailers, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was a visual parallel. It was clear. But horror. But horror. That's the thing. They took it and they made it horror. It, it, it's just a very good film 
so that has won um my original screenplay sorry again i do not know the names of this pe- of the people that did it so i'm only naming the assets i do apologize that's not a problem andy but uh for our next award we got to know the name of the asset and what is yes. it our next award is the best actress the yes. best actress the best cat- actress yeah and th- so let's be re- let's just say well, this is for film and tv yes this is for film and tv i personally feel they're not enough i'm i'm upset that when it was time for me to pick i didn't have a lot, a lot of, of options, options yeah. yeah so still a lot of work to be done there well, it's getting better it's getting better but yes. there's still yeah there's still a handful of work to be done yes so i've gone for uh, some i've gone for robin wright okay for house from house of cards did a new season come out this year yeah the final season the final came, final out, season. This, yeah, right, came cool. out this year she i feel she handled it because because of the whole controversy with kevin spacey he couldn't be in in the final series so it was down to her to conclude the story and i think she did very well she took, took on the, the mantle of kevin obviously she without your respect she obviously isn't kevin spacey obviously because kevin spacey there's only one kevin spacey yeah but she held her own she held the story it didn't feel it, yeah of course parts of it felt rushed and all of that but she really held her own and her performance was really up up there for me i think i her performance in house of cards was was amazing was great you you've never seen it so no i haven't no so you've not really sure I'm, i've heard of many good things about yeah it, but yeah. no she she handled because up until that season she's been like the second she's not she's been there throughout but she's been secondary to kevin spacey Spacey was the only one allowed to break the fourth wall in House of Cards. House of Cards, as you know, it's a very fourth wall where he turns to the audience and talks to the audience. He was the only one, Kevin Spacey was the only one allowed to do that. She did it once, but throughout the entire seasons, it was all Spacey, it was all Spacey. So it was a huge responsibility for her to take on that mantle. And I just think she handled it properly. So that's why she wins my award. Yeah, I haven't seen it, so I can't comment, but I love Robin Wright as an actress, so I'm sure she did a great job. For me, um, another TV actress. And just again, just goes to show what an amazing year we've had for TV. And I'm going to go with Regina King Yeah. Uh, as Angela Abar for Watchmen. Yeah. Because she brought it. I mean, I already loved... That was actually the best... The, the thing that was I had sort of going into Watchmen, the thing that I was most excited for was Regina King Mm -hmm. because it's Regina King. She's just amazing in everything she does. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize how much to she brought it, man. She brought her A game in the scripts that are so dense. And, you know, and she's the central character. Um, Again, relating to Booksmart, Watchmen I can appreciate and I love, but there's a deeper level to Watchmen that me being a a white person... Mm -hmm can't relate to mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and that's you know that's fine it's yeah, just that's, it's just the way it's just the way it's the way things mm-hmm. is but you know for you Andy, and for other people i've seen who are people of color uh, embracing this show and showing what it's doing and it's angela abar that's sort of leading that yeah for, throughout the entire series you know just her fronting this so a top job to her like just wow what an amazing performance i mean to be in the same show with jeremy irons and outshine him not like you can even do that but if you could 
outshining I mean, him. He was great. <laughs> he was great. Yeah. 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 But, but yeah, was, she, uh, Regina King. Yeah. Regina King is just, um, no, she was amazing. And she held that show, had a lot of stars. Everybody brought their A game. But she, man, she brought it. She killed it. Brought it. She held, I mean, like, what we want to see, I mean, people of color and people of ethnic minority, what we want to see is when you show us, don't don't let it be like a novelty thing, you know, and it's very obvious when... Doing it for the sake of doing it. For the sake it. of it, yeah. And it's really obvious when a director or a producer or a production does that. We see through all of that. Whenever it's done, we see through it. You can't fool us with that kind of stunt. Just put in a black person just so he's a black person. We see through all of that. But So we want to see, just let it happen. Let it just flow in the story. Let it just flow. And I think the way it was done in Watchmen, it just flowed. You don't see her as a black woman who is also You see her lead. as the lead character. You just see her as the lead. Her race, sex, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. She's just the lead. And it's just done so powerfully well. It's sort of like when you watch um, Ripley. Yeah. Or you watch Layla, you know, you don't see them as women per se, even though they are women. You see them as the lead. They're, oh, by the way, they are women. And that's how they want to be that's portrayed. That's how it should be. That's exactly. That's how it should be. That's the way they want to be portrayed. And I think, I mean, you asked me, how do we deserve David Lillard? Like, do we deserve to actually live in the same time as that guy? He's a genius. What he produced in Watchmen. I know we're not talking about him, but the way he was able to do that, Amazing. So, yeah. Virginia King, best actress. So, indeed. So, uh, the next one, and we're getting to the crunch time now, uh, the best actor. Now, I think we both have the same one here. It's... It, it was I mean, tough, though. It, it's tough. There's been a, some really, really good performances. Mm -hmm. uh, I know you want you had a De Niro. I had De Niro because of Irishman. As Irishman. Um, I was also really thinking DiCaprio. His performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was just amazing. Like, just there was one scene in particular that he was crying. I was crying. Wow. <laughs> Everyone was crying. Like, it's, oh. um, But for me, and I think for you as well, I think it's for a lot of people this year that I think he's going to win the Oscar. Yeah. It's uh, a Mr. Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, it has to be Phoenix. For like, his portrayal of Arthur Fleck, a.k.a. the Joker. If they don't give the Oscar to him, you know, and they don't give it to Scorsese, because, and they don't give it to De Niro for what he did in Scorsese. Who are they now going And they can't give it to Tarantino because of the blood. So who did they now... <laughs> Hollywood has got themselves in a pickle. They've got to give it to Joaquin. <laughs> I mean, you can't... Like, whatever you feel of the film, like, and there have been, there's been people who haven't enjoyed the film f for whatever reason... But the one thing they've said is Joaquin's performance yeah. delivers it. Yeah. Like, it's incredible. It's something I haven't quite it's really seen before. And the thing is, he's not a method actor. He's not, that's not his thing. He, he doesn't. But he still gave a performance uh, physically, mentally. You know, he really, really committed to this role to deliver something fresh and original with Todd Phillips. And he just succeeded in every level. Mm. In every level, you felt sympathy for him when you needed to, and when he was doing bad things, you hated him. Mm -hmm. You you really were like, or were not so much hated, but you felt sorry, like you're going down a path I can't go with you on, sort of thing. Mm. And you you, you, you he made, they made him relatable, but but again, like I said, by the end of the movie, 
he's not relatable. Mm -hmm. He's gone down a path we can't follow. Yeah. I mean, one word that struck out from what you said is um, his commitment. He was really committed to this project. You know, when you listen to the interviews, the processes he went through, there was, they actually, they had started rehearsing it, the whole film, for Joker to be a different type of person. After, I think they had filmed for a couple of weeks, then him and Todd Phillips said, ah, it's not really working. So they had to rehash the entire performance. He had to break from that old character and relearn the entire Joker process. Like, that's a huge task. So he was really committed to it. And, you know, we heard a lot of stories about his, his behavior on set, how he would work away and he would talk to people. We heard a lot of that. But watching the film, I, I, you know, I don't, I, I do. Obviously, we're not advocating being a dick. No, you know. No. But you can almost be like, ah, I could see where his head was. No, at. no, exactly. Like this is a, it's a difficult role to have. You need to like, you know, you need to get in this very particular mindsets to play this character. Yeah. And you know, Joaquin, you know, he's an actor's actor, and he's on set. He's trying to find that thing, you know. And like actors do, they always say, "I'm just trying to find that that thing." I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Work, I'm working on it, and you know it takes a lot of concentration. So I can understand why he would get angry if someone on set was making noise or something happened that it broke him out of it. It can be frustrating. Mm. You know, I'm sure he said sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sure he's apologized. You know, it was just. It's we're humans at the end of the day. We, we have emotions. You know, something can just in a spark, in a spark of an instance, can change. The good, the good thing is they didn't record it. Like um, the Shane, Shane Hobart and um, they did record it the for the Joker, yeah, yeah. They recorded yeah, the outburst, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I've never yeah. seen. Did you, have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen I haven't it. seen it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll show it to you. I'll show it to you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't even know they did that. I was gonna say that it's amazing they recorded um, the one from Shane and um, what's his name, Batman, Christian Bale. Oh yeah, yeah, that yeah. Rant yeah. Oh years yeah, ago, yeah. They, they yeah. recorded that, but they couldn't record this one. But this I, one was nowhere near as bad as that. Oh yeah. Yeah, this one was literally like, "Come on, man, I'm trying to get something here." Like, ah, okay. yeah, yeah. It, you'll see. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, Joaquin Phoenix, he, he's got to win the Oscar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no. But what are you gonna? What, who are they gonna give it to? Yeah. Pikachu. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Pikachu. Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andy. Right, so we got two awards left. Yes. Arguably two of the biggest ones, but they're all big in their own right. You mm-hmm. know, you can't make a film with just one thing. Exactly. It's got to have all these elements. But mm-hmm. um, the people that are spearheading the film. The director. The directors. So, Andy, who have you got as your best director of the year? My best director of the year. Now, the director, you know, I, I'm sure everybody listening already knows this. Everything you see on screen was the director. If you don't like a film, blame the director. Even if it's the studio that uh, influenced him, he should have quit. Anything you see on the screen, it's the director. So it's a huge responsibility when you're on set. He's the leader, you know? So it's a huge responsibility. So of all the amazing films we've seen this year, the best of them was directed by Martin Scorsese for the Irishman. That's my award. I mean, it's Martin Scorsese. What more can you what more can you really say? It's just I mean, what he how Joe he look man, when you watch Irishman you'll get this. Everybody, yeah, brought their A game. Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesky who had retired. 
brought the, his A game. How Scorsese was able to pull that off? A lot of people don't realize this. Pacino and De Niro, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, they've never worked together. People think they have, but they haven't. This was their first ever production together. Actually, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Scorsese and Al Pacino have never worked together. I do apologize, of course. Joe Pesci's worked too, yeah. Al Pacino and Al Pacino, they did, um, I've forgotten the name, they did that together. They done loot yeah. together. But Scorsese had never worked with Pacino. Which is interesting. Which is think inter- yeah, you think they have. You, you Every time I this is mentioned, whoever you're telling you would stop. I'd be like, really? But they've never. But yet, after 40, 50 years of knowing about each other, they worked together and Scorsese was able to bring out an Al Pacino. That was Al Pacino. We saw Al Pacino. We saw, and Joe Pesky, he wasn't... When you say Joe Pesky is, was in a gangster movie, you begin to think about the Goodfellas. But the Joe Pesky we saw in The Irishman is 100% different from the one we saw in Goodfellas. A totally new, different character. And that's down to the direction he got from Scorsese. So, man, I, he, I mean, there was, I'm sure you have a different one, but I just have to drop my hat for Scorsese on this one. Yeah. Uh, a note on that, because I always think, yes, as a director, you are in charge of pretty much everything. But I think the director's number one job, their number one job is to get the best performance from the actors on set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think that's their number one job is to to get those people yeah. to get the best performance yes. out of them. Because if he does everything else and that doesn't work, the whole thing feels flat. Yes, we've seen that loads. We've of seen times. that loads of times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, going on that, uh, before I give mine, I have to say this was hard as well yeah. because there was a lot of great directors this year. Um, you know, I got uh, honorable mentions is Todd Phillips on Joker. I haven't seen The Irishman, but I'm pretty sure if I saw it, he would. Martin is always going to be a contender. And I also have to give, this is a bit of a, roca, a, a wild one, but Olivia Wilde on Booksmart. Mm. She did an amazing job. Like, on, on, honestly, you, you seriously have to check it out. Yeah, I mean, for a great honor, I, I don't want to mention Us. Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele did a fantastic <laughs> did job a as job well. You know, Jordan as Peele. Well. So we've had a, a great yeah. year of directors. But for me, this i got to give it to two people, mm. directors, and that is Anthony and Joe Russo. Oh. On, so the, as more, most popularly known as the Russo brothers yes. on Avengers Endgame. Yes. Now, the reason I say this is because going back to what I said, they've got to get the best performance out of the actors. Do you realize how many actors they had to do that with? This film, by all accounts, should not have worked. On paper, this doesn't work, this film. You know, you read this, you're like, how is this going to work? It actually doesn't. <laughs> do you yeah, know what I mean? True, yeah. If you read the script, you're like, yeah. okay, like, I don't know how you're going to do this, yeah. but but they did it. Do you know what I mean? They did something that I think even Kevin Feige was like, I don't think we can do this again. <laughs> do you see <laughs> what I mean? They did. Uh, they culminated this 11-year saga of films, this intertwining connected story with over... I don't know, 40, 50 characters, superheroes, villains, all this thing, all in this three-hour film. But at the same time, it was an amazing directed film. The pacing, the, the performances from all these actors to having to deal with this big-scale visual effects film mm. and still make it feel believable yeah. and grounded. And you're there with the characters from the very beginning. It's just an emotional journey. And they did it. Yeah. Th- it's, they did it. And the, 
they they landed it. They landed the plane. No, no, they landed it and packed the brake with reverse. Like they and the topic that they were dealing with is a very hard thing to do. PTSD as well and PTSD and PTSD. But mine is time travel. Like it's so hard to do on screen without looking like an idiot. It's just hard. But and how do you make it original? Original. And it has to make sense because um, people are really clever these days. You can't just say, uh, yeah, he went back to the past. They just went back to the past and took all the stones from Thanos. That would have just fallen flat. So they had to do it in such a way that it would make sense to even the geeks. Some of us that are really into like space, people that really study astrophysics space and time and really understand this how time can be dilated and all of that it has to it has to pass the test of those people and this film comes very close to being accurate in terms of time travel i would say in film this is the best portrayal i've seen of time travel yeah I, i yeah yeah, the there one, are very few one that one that's entertaining, gripping, yeah, and also makes sense. Yeah, there are very few people that have done it, but but yeah, I agree, and it's not by no means, and exactly you do all of that w- with all these characters who are multi-billion grossing. They, they are individual films, films are cross are, yeah. billions. Then you mash that all up together, include time travel. Oh man, <laughs> that's just a lot. It's a lot going on, and not only did they do it. It has become the most successful film in Hollywood history. Yeah, three point five billion dollars. Do you understand beat. how much money that is? With a three, beat. with three point five billion dollars, that can run a country. That will, I'm sorry, but I don't think that will ever happen again. It will. It will. I'd like to see. I'd like to see what does it, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah I mean. If you when you imagine what it was like when the film made one million, <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. You know, so, <laughs> yeah, it will happen. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Not for a very long time, though. I don't I mean, definitely I'm, not in the next 10, be, 20 years. To be honest, like this twenty twenty we're about to go into, I can see about two to three films. Okay, about two films. Three point five billion. Though. Yeah, I can see about. Okay, I can see about two films hitting three billion. About two. Wow. Okay, about, we'll, we'll get into yeah, that when we do our 2020. Do our 20, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, because that's quite far-fetched, but all right. You'll see. All right, so yeah, um, Anthony and Joe Russo on Avengers Endgame is my pick. Uh, so let's get into the last one, ND. Yep. And that is Best the Picture. Best Picture of the Year. So your favorite film of the year. My favorite film of the year also happens to be the most underrated film of the year. And that is Brightburn. It was close to something else, but I had to stick with Brightburn because this film is so good. Nobody talks about it. The story is good. The acting is good. It ends well. It starts well. Beginning, and it's horror. When last did you see a horror superhero film? Nobody. If you told me before I saw it that you could do a horror superhero film, I'd be like, it's impossible. Super horror demons. Superhero film comedy or explosions. You don't you don't relate those two, but they did it, and it was it was really it was a really good film. I'm so upset and so disappointed that it didn't get the accolades it deserves this year. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. I still but, have yet to check it out. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? See, but that's what I mean. It's one of those films that just went under the radar. Yeah, you when you watch it, you will be surprised as I am that this happened. 
and nobody is talking Talk about, about it. it. Yeah, kind of like Upgrade last uh, the year exactly before. Exactly like Upgrade. I watched Upgrade this year, and I had to be like, "What? This film is really good, but it just goes just under, the under the radar." Yeah, yeah. That's why you need to listen to this show. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're in it. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, my best picture. Uh, this is not a surprise to anyone, I don't think. Uh, this was very close picking for you as well, and that is Joker. Mm. You know, uh, for all the reasons we've already kind of spoken about. Uh, but w one thing I'd like to say is that it's done something that hasn't really been done since, I think, The Dark Knight, which it made people realize, no, look, comic book movies can also be works of art. Yes. It can be thought-provoking, and it can be challenging, and it can also be up there with the best of films ever made. Yes. Which I've been, I've been flying that flag for years since you know since I was a kid reading comics and people thought oh, those are just funny books and I'm like no there's there's genuine real themes real in there. themes and storytelling and you know that plays on morality yeah of course there's spaceships and whatever but it's the themes behind it and this this was obviously a darker theme but what they did is that they held up the biggest mirror to today's society mm. Uh, kind of what we were sort of speaking about at the beginning of the show yeah. uh, with you know social media and stuff like that and how uh, hostile it can be out there when even though this takes place in the 80s but for me Todd Phillips was basically saying this individual everyone sort of you know dissing on him and giving him you know a hard life that's kind of like Twitter mm. with this constant barrage of negativity and you know slandering and all this sort of thing to eventually, it will break a person. It will break. Yeah. It will break a person, especially someone dealing with uh, mental illness, which is, as we know, has been a very hot topic this year and will continue to be a hot topic. As it should. As it should. And it's given people more of an insight on what people with mental health go through. Now, I, I'm not ashamed to admit this on the show. I suffer from mental health. I have done before and currently going through. And it, they, he did it in a way that I'm like, yeah, man, I think you, you kind of get it. You kind of mm. get what we go through. Mm. Um, and at the same time, but you know, showing what could happen if we push these people too much. Mm -hmm. You know, it could lead to uh, you know sad things such as you know suicide. suicide yeah. uh, but it can also lead to other things as violence. as violence. So you know, it it made me also realize, man, I need to really think about what I say to someone mm. before I say it mm. because. I have no idea what that person is going through in life. Yeah. I have no, not a clue what their deepest, darkest demons are. Mm. And if, if I say something, I may forget the, I may forget about it. But the consequences of what I say could stay with that person for a long time, possibly forever. Mm -hmm. The film made us think, didn't it? Mm -hmm. It stayed with me for days, weeks after yeah. I watched it. Still it's, thinking about yeah, it. it. Yeah, it stayed with me like it stayed. And not many films have the ability to do that. And, it's and a comic book movie did yeah, that. Yeah, a comic book. And you, so the, I even wanted to ask, if Scorsese, if all comic book movies were like Joker, you really, you know Scorsese wouldn't have said what he said. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think Scorsese is just painting a, a broad stroke. Yes, exactly. I don't think, because, it, and it's not entirely his fault. He hasn't, he doesn't watch them. Yes, you know, he, does, it's, he said it. I don't watch these movies. He doesn't get them. It's not made for him. So he shouldn't even get them. So, but yeah, I, I would like to... It would be interesting to see what he would think about Joker. I'm sure he would love it. Yeah, I wish I'd see... I'm sure somebody has asked him in an interview somewhere. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, but I'm sure he would love it. Because... Has he worked with Phoenix before? No. 
No, no. he hasn't worked with Fear. But I mean, I mean, the, the film is very inspired by Scorsese. Yeah, it's got that taxi driver sort of king of comedy vibe. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm sure somebody has asked him about it. Yeah. You I mean, know? well, there were rumors that he was going to produce it. Yeah. So, so yeah, we should probably Google and see. I want to know his thoughts. But no, this film is. Um, this is one of those films we're talking about that, and there were a lot of them this year that just painted a picture of society. They just made us say, "Hey, this is the world we live in." Yeah. You know. This is the world we live in. Deal with it, you know? It did, it did. And you're absolutely correct. It just made us be like, yo, the way we treat people, you don't know what they're going through, you know. Keep pushing somebody, keep pushing somebody, keep pushing him. Or her. <laughs> or her. They will react. They will react. If it's whether they harm themselves or they harm somebody else, but they will react. So just made us think about the how we treat other people and it's when a film does that it deserves the awards so i agree with you it's a great great film i mean bright it was tough it was for me it was between brightburn and joker and i sort of had a, an idea that you were going to choose joker yeah. so i chose i stuck with brightburn but it could have been any one of them it was up there as my best film of the year as well so that's it andy those are our awards for 2019 Loved it and looking forward to doing this same time next year. Next year and 2020. What is the year going to bring us? So uh, before we head off, we will just say this is our last show for the year. Hope everyone enjoys the Christmas holidays. Spend it with spend it with plenty of friends, family, cheer, joy. Watch some great movies. There's some great series on Netflix and all sorts to go. So go see Rise of Skywalker. It's in theaters or cinema. So hope everyone has a good Christmas. Yep. Uh, what do you uh, do? You have any final uh, words for the people out there, Andy? Um, it's been great this year. Thank you so much for listening. We've seen our numbers, our numbers go go up and up and up and up, and it it just means that somebody's watching it and telling somebody else about it. So thank you so much for all the supports and love, and really appreciate it. We will do our best to be better next year. And when we come back next year, we're going to start with what's coming in 2019. In, sorry, in 2020. And we will tell you all the films that are coming out and what dates they're coming out and what we think about them. We really hope we've helped in one way or the other to entertain you. And um, normally I'll sign off with where you should find me on the internet, but I'm not. This year, don't look for me on the internet. Spend some time with family and friends. Eat some mint pies and turkey and have yourself a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And a Happy New Year. See you later, guys. We'll see you in 2020.